Hello, I'm Richard from Play It Green. Today, we're really excited to support the Hospitality Playbook podcast. Play It Green provides a unique sustainability initiative that is free to hospitality operators, where you simply add a removable £1 to each bill. For that pound, we'll plant not one, but two trees and give 10p back to a charity of your choice. And in return, we'll educate your whole team on sustainability and provide you with guidance, resources and a network of sustainable hospitality solutions and services. We'll help you build robust ESG credentials. The result is increased consumer loyalty. Ready to embark on this journey towards climate positive hospitality? Click the link in the show notes to find out more. I've got Annika. Thank you very much for being here. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here again. So you're a, a rare breed. You're a, somebody who's been on the podcast twice. So thank you for coming back. Two timers club. <laughs> so I'll put your I'll put the link to your first episode into the show notes so people can can go back and and, and listen to that. You shared a great tip on how to um, you include drinks at the top of a menu. Uh, to increase profitability, which was awesome. So go ahead and listen to that if you've not listened already. And for those who have not listened, Annika, just give us sort of a minute or two, please, on who you are and what your business is. Yeah, my name is Annika Wainwright, and I am the co-founder of Two Forks. Um, we help hospitality businesses really connect with their customers and take them on deliberate journeys from first-time visitors to return customers, and eventually those kind of people who are sort of fans and ambassadors of their of, of your brand that will talk about your restaurant to their friends and family and bring lots of people in, which is what we all want at the end of the day. Um, we do that by helping brands develop brand uh, a brand voice that they are really comfortable and brand messaging that really resonates with their customers and then applying it to different stages and key touch points in the customer journey and one of those key touch points for a restaurant is obviously the menu it's the one thing that everybody plays around with on a on a visit um, both Anna my co-founder and I used to be restaurant critics so we have lots of experience of dealing with menus we've been collecting menus since the early 90s I'm an absolute menu geek I love them they make me really happy um, uh, and when you start working with changing little bits of your menu to drive different behaviors in ordering, you also realize that it's quite a powerful tool and you almost feel like the sort of evil fixer. I can I can drive this particular behavior and you start tracking those results. It, it becomes very, very addictive. So I recommend to anyone um, who is involved with updating menus, try to pick um some kind of criteria, whether it's increased spend per head or like tracking sales of a certain menu item, really follow those results and, and see what can be done when you make changes. And it, you're probably going to find that uh, you're going to be just as addicted to menus as I am. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said that in your first episode, you've, you've collected menus uh, since the 90s. And I, I meant to ask and I forgot how many menus do you think you've got? Oh God, it's it's thousands. I've got boxes yeah. and boxes. Um, wow. I've got my favorites and I've now... I've, I've, I now beg for menus. Restaurants are not as happy to give away menus. They're not as as disposable as they used to be. So yeah. um, I, I have to ask nicely to get actual paper copies of menus. But my phone is absolutely stacked with, with pictures of menus from around the world. I just love them. <laughs> I love that. So um, you've got my heart a little bit, this one. I love a highlighter. <laughs> so <laughs> obviously we're... 
we're going to be talking about uh, unlocking menu potential and the, the idea of using a highlighter. I know you, you said before we started was just kind of like focus on on certain lines on your on your menu. Um, just set this up for us. I want you to qualify the the issue of what would happen if you, I guess, if you didn't focus enough on your menu. If you're just putting things out there and you've not really put too much thought into it, what what happens then? So something that I come across a lot is this concept of a set GP that you add to your dish. So it's it's quite common for restaurants to aim for a sort of 70% or thereabouts GP and they apply it to see every single dish on the menu. And I think you end up leaving money on the table there because if you're a little bit more aware of your um, customers' ordering behavior, which are your really popular dishes, um, which are the ones that... Um, make you the most money if if you're a little bit more aware of um of how to um push certain dishes you can you can increase the price very marginally on a very popular dish and make way more money than having um a a price increase across across the board on on every dish so you can make smarter decisions in terms of increasing prices without sort of always taking a set amount of price increase when whenever you need a bit of extra cash in the till. So it's it's really useful to to have that sort of playing field. So essentially, I I, I lured you in with highlighters, didn't I? I think a lot of us love a bit of stationery. Um, and essentially, what I wanted to talk about today is a new way of looking at your sales data. But nobody gets lured in if you if you say, "Come and listen to this twenty minute podcast about sales data." Uh, <laughs> that's going to sound really really dull. <laughs> so essentially, I want to talk about a way that you can categorize your sales data for to better inform your of of how to make strategic pricing decisions and and strategic menu design decisions. Uh, But then taking that data and bringing it to life in a visual way using highlighters on your actual menu to essentially create a very visual playing field that gives you an idea of what you can do to improve your menu. I think in the restaurant industry, we tend to be creative people and we tend to be quite visual people. Um, So staring at a spreadsheet is never going to do anyone any good. It's much better to get it out there on the actual menu, highlight it and and see what happens. So that's what I'm hoping to to sort of offer a very um, visual strategy that can help perhaps your team become... um, excited about sales data even though um, that's not a natural first uh, um, reaction yeah yeah i think that there's a step we need to take before this because i think there'll be two different types of people who are listening to this i think there'll be people who have already got what you called a, a menu matrix or a menu engineering matrix so they've already started and see the value in this process of writing down all your lines and going into detail but i think there'll be some other people who haven't done that at all. You know, I I know for a fact some of our customers don't really know what the yeah. DP is on a lot of their dishes. They've never really sat down and they've never done this document. So I think before we go in, before you go into breaking down the documents, I think you just need to maybe just talk about why and how you can actually do the documents. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there's some good news in here because, um, you don't actually really need to know um, your GPs and your percentages, and you can leave all of those mathematical terms at the door. Uh, what really, really matters at the end of the day is 
how many of each item on your menu are you selling and how much cash ends up in the till at the end of every sale. So I like to focus on cash in the till instead of percentage GPs and these sort of abstract numbers that we we kind of snooze as, as soon as we hear them. <laughs> so um, it's, it's basically... Um, the menu matrix is not my invention at all. They've been using it in America, I think, since the, the 40s. Um, but the the idea is that your the dishes on your menu will fall into one of four categories. So the first category are your sort of superstar dishes. They're the ones that you sell in high volume because they're very popular. Um, and they make you good money every single time you sell them. So you're basically taking all of the dishes on your menu and you list the volume of sales for each one. And in the other column, you list the cash that you make every single time you sell that dish. So you take all your costs out and you, you end up with your cash profit per, per dish. And then you basically work out the average um, of, of all of those across your menu. And so your the, the dishes that have a above average cash per sale figure um, and also an above average number of sales per item. Those are your star dishes. Those are the ones you should protect with your life because they make you good money and your customers love them and they should never, ever leave your menu. And you can actually put those in strategic positions on your menu, which we'll get to later and, and sort of work the halo effect of those. But those are your star dishes. Those are the absolute best ones. The second one are the ones that sell in really good quantity, so above average sales, um, but they make you less um, less than average sale, um, less than average cost per sale. Those are your workhorses, we like to call those. So these are the hardworking dishes that your customers love, but they're perhaps not bringing you as big a profit, profit per sale as, as others. So once we know that those are in that category, we can look at different ways of can we take price on those slightly to make them a little bit more profitable? Um, what can we do to to engineer these to, to work a little bit harder and trying to move those across to the star category? But it's good to know which ones they are, because again, those are dishes that we know are selling in high volume. So once we've mapped those out on our menu, we can, we can use those strategically to bring attention to other things that are perhaps not as popular. Um, the third category on your menu are your puzzles. We call them puzzles because they make you really good cash. So above average cash per sale, but they're not selling in the volumes that perhaps we want them to. So those are the puzzles because we've got to figure out how do we sell more of these? So can we move them um, to a better position on the menu? Can we change the description to make them sound more um, tempting? Can we work the copy or the design of the menu to sell more of these? Or is there something about these dishes that your customers perhaps don't like? Can we change the actual dish and the ingredient? Or how do we improve on these to make them perform better? And then the final category are the dogs. Sorry to all the pet lovers out there, but basically the dogs are the ones you want to get rid of. Perhaps not always get rid of, so that there might be a reason why something is below average sales and below average cash per sale. For example, with the work that we did uh, for Rosa's Thai recently, they have a signature dish. It's uh, it's called a somtam. It's a raw papaya salad that uses an ingredient, um, a green papaya that you can't really get in the UK. So it has to be 
imported um, and um, it's expensive so it's their signature dish and it's a great storyteller for them because it's it's the sort of national dish of Thailand Thais absolutely can't get enough of this dish so in terms of attracting Thai people to their restaurants that dish is really key and it says a lot about Rosas and their commitment to quality and, and having the right ingredients in their dishes. So they would never take that off the menu. And they're okay with the fact that it makes lower average sales and lower average cash per sale. It has to be there as part of their It does another decision. job, doesn't it? Exactly. It does another job. But there might be dishes on your menu that are just there and they shouldn't be there. They're just taking up space. And when it comes to menu engineering and strategic menu design, you, you essentially want as much space as you can to play with. So cutting some dead weight off your menu is going to be a really um, important exercise. And those dogs are the first place where you should be starting your and getting your sisters out and getting them out of there. So it's good to identify the stuff that isn't selling as well. And also perhaps figuring out if one of your sides really isn't selling very well, properly digging into that and figuring out why aren't people buying this because if we can have a much more tempting range of sides that people actually want to eat that's a really easy way to increase spend per head as well just by improving the selection so um the the, the dogs are a little bit like puzzles we want to find out more about them and um before we sort of make any um big choices there but it might just be that they're, they're just not very good and they need to go. So those are the four categories that you want to okay. be putting your full menu into one of those four categories. Are you okay, with me? Let me stop you there then. <laughs> so, so step one is, is to, if you haven't already, is to get into your sales data and start categorizing your, or each of your lines, basically each of your products, your SKUs, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. into these four. And you're saying that you would do it on actual monetary value. So i.e. if I've got a plate of pasta, how many pounds and pence do I make on that plate plate yeah. of pasta and how many of those plates do I sell? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So forget percentages. That's that's forget percentages. Too. Percentages are vague. Cash is real. <laughs> Cash matters. Um and there's a there's a fun there's a fun second play you can do once we get into step two as well, which I'll tell you about when we get to it. Okay, go on, let's get into step two. Okay, so step two is um get your favorite highlighters out. You're gonna need four of them. And obviously you're gonna pick your favorite colour for the star dishes. I generally go with a hot pink for my star dishes. Um and then um you pick a colour for your for your um Workhorses, I usually use yellow for that one. I'm not sure why. Um, the puzzles, I usually use a green for. And then the dogs, sometimes I leave them blank. Sometimes I, I go like bright red or, or, or sometimes a lot of highlighters come in, in packs with a with a pink, yellow, uh, green and blue. So blue will, blue will work as well. I need to get a highlighter sponsor for this <laughs> Yes, sponsored by Stabilio. Is that <laughs> what they're called? Um, yeah, so um, you get your highlighters out. And um, I always start with the stars because it's very satisfactory to sort of find like, right, these are my star performers. And you'll probably find if you listen to the last episode that we did together, um, that that sort of um, upside down L that we talked about being a hot zone on menus and, and things that customers really see. So the sort of top things on the menu and the ones down the right, you tend to find a lot of star dishes in there. Um, and then you highlight your um, you highlight your um your workhorses and your puzzles and your dogs. And all of a sudden you have a very clear picture of what's working on your menu and what's not working so well. So you might find that those um, 
puzzle dishes that are not selling in great volumes, they might that they will probably be the ones that are towards the end of a selection. So if you have seven main courses, they might be number six and seven. And if they're really great profit makers, we want to be nudging them up so that they're perhaps in a, a more prominent position. So um, any list is going to get more eyeballs on the first, the second and the third choice in a list. And then people's attention start, tends to start dribbling off a little bit. So you can always uh, play strategically by moving puzzle dishes to those top three slots. Um, any dish that is really near a star dish or a workhorse dish, so those really popular dishes that sell in high volume, they're going to benefit from the halo effect of that popularity a little bit. So um, if you put something just above or just below a star dish, you're you're likely to be increasing the um, the uptake of, of that particular dish. Um, you might also see um, sometimes it's the case that um, all of the dogs are in one area. And when that's the case, it tends to be, for example, a side selection that has ended up in the bottom left corner. And if you listen last night, uh, that we spoke together, uh, we talked about menu Siberia being in the bottom left corner of a menu. It's very common for sides to go there because it, it seems a natural sort of, oh, we start with the starters and the main courses and, oh, maybe we'll have the desserts down the right hand. And, oh, yeah, let's tuck the sides in here. There's a, there's a gap on the left. Let's go for that. And you really don't want to be selling anything on the on the bottom left of the menu that can really drive that extra spend per head like sides or extra drinks, that kind of thing. So the bottom left corner should be reserved for your um, service charge information, your um, allergen QR code, that kind of thing that certain people will go looking for. And obviously it's important for it to be on the menu. Uh, but if it's not helping you drive experience um, or um, or sales, then um leave it out of the uh, of the bottom left corner so i guess there's a whole massive host of reasons why a dish might not be selling particularly well mm-hmm. um and then it being in the wrong place on the menu i guess is just one of those isn't it so yeah. are there any indications that would tell me really quickly and easily that that's probably the reason why well you should be able to get a quite clear um, view once you've visualized, you brought this to life and you can see where all of your um, where all of your sort of star performing dishes are placed on the menu. That should give you a bit of guidance in terms of you, you will typically see that those star dishes are at the top of lists or right under a good headline, that kind of thing. So that will give you a bit of guidance. Um, the second step I was talking about earlier is what you can do once you've pulled out the number of items sold and the cash per sale, um, you can actually multiply all of those and 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 go in with your colored pen and write the actual amount. So um, on your highlighted pink dish of so, for example, at Rosa's Thai, Pad Thai is like a superstar dish. They sell loads of it. People absolutely love it. And when you go in and you write down the actual number that that dish has made you in cash in the last period, it can be a sort of, whoa, this is amazing. Um, so um, using those highlighters, using the actual sales figure and the actual cash that you make, you can, you can see those things really clearly. And, um, and you can, you can make some quite clever menu decisions just based on 
how you can sort of visualize that your menu is performing in terms of placement and that sort of thing. Um, but something that I always say is a menu does not exist in a vacuum. It's part of an ecosystem of, of bigger things. And I'm a firm believer that any question um, that you ask yourself in the context of restaurant marketing or customer experience in restaurant, the answer just lies with the customer. And when we work on um menu optimization with our clients, we always, always, always start with research. So um, we we call our process 360 menu optimization because we want to look at every single aspect. So we interview the teams, front of house, back in house. We, we interview the customers and we look at the sales data. And it's when you start getting that really full picture that you can properly get to understand why certain dishes um, are selling better than others. So you do kind of have to ask. And you could. Um, I'm also a big fan of surveying customers little and often. Nobody wants to sit down and fill out a 20-question questionnaire and rate this dish from 1 to 10 or whatever. But if if you've started by making this, you've, you've got your menu matrix, you've highlighted your menu, and you've probably ended up with a few questions. So you might want to do a survey or just a quick sort of intercept in the restaurant you can go around with a menu and ask people about those dogs about those puzzles like why do you think it is that people aren't ordering this thing like why why didn't you order a side today asking those questions the the, the answers that come back are always so enlightening and i'm always amazed how little operators tend to actually talk to their customers and ask those questions um so i would absolutely 100 percent recommend that to find those answers get the customer involved and if you haven't got time or well everyone should have time to pop a couple of questions in a google form and send it out but if if it seems like a daunting project to survey your customer at least speak with your teams front of house and ask them you know what are the questions you get about the menu what are the parts of the menu that um that customers seem to miss like what do you have to point out all the time for people to see it those kind of things um and also what what are the reactions? What are the dishes that um, get the most complaints? You know, are, are, is the menu perhaps misleading people? Is the description not accurate so that expectations are not uh, matched when 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 the food is brought to the table? All of those that that mm. there are so many levels of of um, or layers in in that customer experience that we can only really get to when we involve the customer and think from their perspective. Mm. As somebody who's uh, looked at thousands of menus, the the thing which I, I I'm thinking about as you as you're talking and what's going around in my mind is whether you need that balance throughout the menu of all four of those things. If I opened the restaurant next week and the menu was just full of stars, it was just banger after banger after banger, and everybody wanted to eat all of them. And let's say I had 10 things and they all sold at 10%. So it was completely even right across. That would obviously present a problem on about, about your menu because you've got to put something in the bottom left then, for example. But would that perform better, I wonder, than if it was maybe a more balanced one where, you know, we had like 25% stars, 25% yeah, puzzles. What, what, what's your initial thoughts on that? Well, there, there obviously needs to be a balance because if if a dish, 
that there would never be a dish with just stars because, well, they, they would all have to sell in exactly the same volume and at the same price. Um, it, it just wouldn't really be practical. Of course, there needs to be balance on a menu. But um, the reasons why we, we work towards pushing our puzzles more towards the star territory is, is if you can drive a little bit more volume on something that is already making you good money, that's a good move. If you can take price a little bit on those workhorses that you know are already popular and you're going to sell them in great menu uh, in great volumes it will save so say you're a pizza restaurant and um if you decided that oh cash flow is bad we need to make some more money let's put two pound on every single pizza if you if you increase every single pizza by the same amount or even if you increase every single pizza by the same percentage some perhaps a meat feast pizza or something like that would then become would then be perceived as really expensive uh, when you could perhaps have looked more cleverly and gone right which is the pizza that we sell loads of like oh the margarita we sell loads and loads some people will always buy it because it's the cheapest one if we nudge that one by you know one pound fifty and we bring the others by just a little bit more um you can keep a, a better spread of pricing across the menu and still make the same money if that makes sense yeah, totally. Okay. So if somebody's looking for quick wins or like just a really like uh, snippet to take away from this, am I right? Have, have I gone through this lesson and have I took the right things from this, that you would, your quick wins would be um, sell more puzzles if you can or yeah. reduce the cost of your workhorses. Are they your quick wins? Yeah, definitely. Those, those, right. Well done. Those are two very, <laughs> very quick wins. Yeah. Perfect. Super. Okay. I'm going to leave it there. Um, Annika, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm going to put your LinkedIn bio into the show notes. So if people have got any more questions about this, please feel free to go into the show notes um, and um, connect with Annika and ask any questions. And for me, thank you so much. That was really interesting. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. 